0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of International Immersion, a podcast that seeks to capture the combined experiences of people, places, culture, traveling, current events, living abroad, and much, much more. For today's episode, I have a special guest who is going to talk a little bit about a about Ukraine and specifically give us more insight on the background of Ukraine from someone who is originally from from the country and has a lot of experience both living in numerous cities and is now in the United States because the situation that's happening now with the unfortunate, uh, you know, certain trend of events, it's not something that has just come up randomly. It has a, a long backstory and the it's been culminating over a number of years for a wide range of you know, reasons. So, um, Anton, it's great to have you on. I'm really happy to have this opportunity to talk with you, and I'm really stoked to hear what you have to say and get an insight you know, of a Ukrainian and hear their point of view on everything. So I just want to thank you for coming on this evening and to share everything you have to tell us.
1: Thanks, Sean. Hi, everybody. My name is Anton Kilpa, and um, I was born in uh, Ukraine in 1985. By the age of 22, I left Ukraine, moved to the United States, and uh, since it was back in 2007, and uh, I've lived in the United States since 2007 till now. In 2013, got my United States citizenship. What else can I say? I like history of my country, and... Um, It's pretty interesting, and anything I can share today with you about Ukraine, about this conflict, about my view of it, I'll be glad to do so.
0: That's wonderful here, Anton, and congratulations on obtaining your citizenship uh, back in 2013, as you mentioned. And like I said, I'm really happy that you're on today and to hear what you have to say. And you mentioned a a big one, that is history. Every country's history is complicated, complex, and let's just say that Ukraine is no exception, (laughs) to say the least
1: that's true yeah
0: so i guess we can go ahead and begin with you know i think everyone now knows about ukraine but the level at which people know about it i think is varies widely from just okay it's a country to people who are experts on it so i think it'd be great to hear from your perspective you know a little background on ukraine so maybe we could start off like you know you know on location and geography
1: so ukraine is like lo- is a uh located on the Western border of Russia. It's a country of about 500,000 square miles. So it's pretty much the size of Texas. Uh, The population, uh, the last last, uh, update I know about the population is 42 million, but I could be wrong. It could be plus minus 2 million. people what else the the Ukraine uh used to be a part of a Soviet Union in 1991 the August 24th it got official independence and uh at this at this day I actually uh, want to say that it's not just got independent it, independence it got it be it became free of occupation like I mean from from being occupied by Soviet Union and all its politics and all its uh, ideology. The, yeah, the, the culture, thing, uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: go ahead. Yeah, and that's, I think that's good because, you know, I think people know where Ukraine is, but, you know, it's a very, it's a very strategic place. And it, like you said, it's a, rather, it's a very large country by European standards and, you know, borders the Black Sea, Russia to the east, other European countries to the west, you know, Belarus to the north. So it's in a very, you know, very unique location in terms of what it's exposed to and like we're going to lead into next with culture. It's definitely a crossroads for, you know, for a lot of cultures.
1: Uh, yes, it is very important strategically because the um, Ukraine is located right between Western border of Russia and Eastern border of Poland. So uh, that makes Ukraine is uh, like a boundary between Eastern and Western world. Um and that uh, and that create and that leaves its own impact on the politics because Ukraine sort of had to always balance between west and east and uh, and that's that's the story.
0: Yeah, so pretty much a, a textbook example of being pulled in two different directions.
1: Yeah, and 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 it's not just uh, just political balance. It's also, I guess, the military balance, the strategic uh, importance of Ukraine. That if the, the Russia wants Ukraine because it uh, creates uh, another buffer between Russia and the West, and the West wants Ukraine because it creates the buffer between West and Russia.
0: No, no, and that makes perfect sense, and it's. You can definitely see the viewpoints from both sides on that. And that leads into the next thing that's kind of unique is, you know, Ukrainian culture, you know. So how would you describe it? Because like you said, it's kind of it's been pulled in directions and it has many influencing factors both from the east and the west and in many cases the south. So maybe in a nutshell, how could you maybe describe Ukrainian culture?
1: Ukrainian culture, Ukrainians have a tendency to be good farmers Uh, and Ukraine itself has very fertile land, very fertile. Uh, Fertile to the point that Hitler back in time was actually taking uh, trains full of Ukrainian land uh, to Germany. So that's that's how fertile that, that land is what else uh ukraine shows uh shows themselves not bad in uh, sports and also in uh, what do you call it in combative sport like w- what would be the right way to say combative or like you know sports like boxing like uh martial arts uh yeah
0: martial arts more like heavy contact sports you know both martial yeah, arts yeah heavy contact sport. yeah
1: um ukrainians uh, uh, very uh Independent people by their nature, they have similarity to Americans in that. So if some countries or um, if some uh, countries or nations prefer monarchy or, uh, you know, they, they admire having a strong king or queen or something like that, that's not the Ukrainian way. They will dogmouth every president they have um, actually until the war. The moment they they get in the war, they doesn't matter good or bad president, they will they will uh, they will follow him.
0: Very uh, um very determined and very expressive and they're not shy to express what they feel and think of Yes,
1: that. and they and right. they have a strong a strong love to being independent, independent not just by con- as a country, independent as an individual. They're very individualistic. They they don't like to be in groups unless they're. I mean, like just you know, like group up and and stay all together unless there is a. Um, you know, unless there is a problem, when there is a problem, one uh, person compared them to the bees, that the bees uh, fly and collect their honey and, and they're very peaceful. But the, God forbid you stick your hand in the beehive and the bees start <laughs> to attack, even if they die. But that's not the most interesting thing about this comparison. The most interesting thing in comparison, that those bees, they don't need leadership to to sting you. Every bee will know what to do. And um, I will step a little bit ahead of the conversation and... uh, even right now, when this conflict started, everybody just knew what they supposed to do. Somebody ran to donate money. Somebody ran to become a volunteer. Somebody ran to the admission point to become a warrior. And everybody started to find their role. And nobody, nobody had to organize them. I mean, there is, to a certain extent, there is organizational uh, help needed. But in general, everybody just ran immediately, knowing what they're supposed to do. And this is exactly what bees do. They don't have like uh, they have a queen in the in the beehive, but they don't. But it's not like queen commands them what to do. They just every bee knows what the, what it's supposed to do when there is invasion to the beehive.
0: I, I like that analogy. So, um, Oh, yeah, I like the analogy you've used here with the beehive and the bees, and also I get the sense that there's this very strong like, individualist spirit, but at the same time, this sense of community and coming together when, when the time is needed or when something arises, so you have kind of a balance between you know, the individual's determination and perseverance to do what they want to do, and then the group and how they kind of can m- meld back and forth.
1: Yeah, I actually want to give credit for this comparison to the Jahar Dudayev, that's a former leader of uh, Republic of Chechnya, which is currently uh, part of the Russian Federation, but it, uh, between 1990 and 2000-something, the Chechnya had three wars with Russia. Yes, uh, and he was—he yeah. was saying that sooner or later there will be war with Ukraine, and uh, he compared Ukraine. Ukraine. He was given that comparison about Ukraine.
0: An unfortunate foreshadowing, to say the least. That's cool to know because it's kind of a paints a cool picture of you know of of Ukrainians in general, and that kind of melds along with you know the history of Ukraine, and that's something that I think is has a strong sense of point of view, but there are facts and. Maybe that's something you can kind of go back to us because I know that, at least from my own study of Ukrainian history, a lot of Ukrainians, the Kievan Rus was one of the first organized states there around the 10th century.
1: Yep. And a couple, couple things about Ukrainian culture I wanted to add is that Ukrainians really like things to be neat. Like, let's say you have a land. Everything has to lay exactly what's supposed to lay. Your farm tools, your um, fence, the way, it paint, the way it's painted and stuff like this. It has to be sometimes at some point kind of almost OCD neat. <laughs> uh, and also uh, another thing, Ukrainians um, have a lot of uh, respect for their women. Uh, in Ukrainian language, the wife is called družina, which uh, the most literal translation would be like a female friend, I guess. Um, which uh, what I'm trying to lead in that it's an equal friend for life. Oh, I, I like they, that. they yeah, it's,
0: they, yeah. they,
1: they, they don't that. see they don't see wife just behind them. They see wife shoulder to shoulder. So I mean, it's like equal female friend for life. That's, uh, that's how uh, how the families are built, more or less, there.
0: So a strong basis in equality and, and respect, you can say.
1: Yes. Those are, I guess, the interesting facts that I wanted to, to mention. Oh, about it's Ukraine's very interesting. And, uh, and very, very good to and know. The, in their culture.
0: No, I, I completely agree. I think that gives a little more sense of just kind of like on the ground level of how on a, on the, on the level of a couple, how generally speaking, they, they look at it, look at it, per, perceive it and treat each other. Yeah. No, very, very interesting. And then going back into the history. So you, like, like I said, I know that, you, that things tend to date back to around the Kiev and Russ period around the 10th century AD. And then, but I know that there's a lot of speculation here, and we'll talk about this later uh, in the episode, but maybe you could kind of give a little bit of background on just Ukrainian history from uh, what you know.
1: Would I know um, let's start yes, Kiev was built in about tenth century uh versus let's say Moscow was built uh in uh thirteenth I believe century, but it was about a couple hundred years, if not three hundred years later, so Kiev people like to uh say that you know when Kiev was a well known um trade center in europe uh Moscow was bushes and swamps. Now uh, I want to. I'll try to do, be as uh, short as possible, but let me know if uh, if it's getting too too long. So this oh, is sorry. what I, I, I mean. Not just think. Let me let me give a little bit of background. Up to two thousand fourteen, I was thinking that Russians are our brothers. Was watching Russian movies. I'm actually born Russian-speaking. Uh, Ukrainian, I knew from childhood, but I didn't really uh, utilize it in my day-to-day life. It was more like uh, just a national language I I knew. But I was from the, the city of Mariupol, eastern border seventy. Kilometers, which is like fifty miles to Russian border, and um, I was—if let's say there would be Olympic Games, uh, I was—if uh, Ukrainian athlete would lose i and next one would be russian i would be just like oh okay let's see how far russian can go it was like a like a it was like a brotherhood for me and when 2014 conflict started in ukraine i started learning a little bit more history bit by bit i started to doing um, reading different books uh, trying to find some information and this is what i found out Ukrainians, they are their roots come from uh, Slovak people. The key difference, uh, like uh, their their roots coming from Slovak people, and the uh, they had a um, nation that was known from about tenth century. It was known in Europe, and the uh, Ukrainian uh, princesses were married to some European king, like uh, they would become queen of France or um, some other I, I definitely remember queen of france i don't want to say uh, other european countries because i don't remember which ones for sure so i don't want to be kind of laughed at i guess but if you want to read Ukrainian history just uh, google ukrainian princesses and uh, their marriages uh, so and and there was it, it wasn't just one it was quite few and uh, so they 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 had some uh, presence in uh, europe royalty family meanwhile russia was uh, their roots are hungarian uh, i mean finnish hungarian tribes and uh, their culture you could see that in their culture in their uh, ornaments uh, like not ornaments what is it called the the national um, stuff that you national art that you um yeah, beautify I, I you're your, your clothes with
0: yeah we call it like ornaments. styles pattern is more of the uh... yes
1: patterns on the clothing a type of outfits uh it it leads to that even this bear idea that they have that you know like russian bear that bear thing came from fin, finnish culture uh, and um,
0: interesting uh, okay well, that's Interest,
1: interesting fact, fact, I did not know that. Yeah, and honestly, um, uh, unfortunately, lots of stuff they took from somebody else. The bear came from Finnish culture. The three-colored flag came during the reign of Peter the I. Uh, their white, blue, and red flag came, actually, it was flag of Holland, except they switched the lanes a little bit. Uh, because the Holland uh, people were building them the, their first um, navy fleet and the peter the first the the tsar asked the asked the builder like hey Uh, actually builder came to him and says you know what there is a tradition to put the country flag on the on the ship when you once it's built what flag do you want to put do you want to put there and the, the tsar didn't have any it didn't have a flag so he asked hey what flag do you actually uh, put on your ships he says flag of holland he said and the tsar asked so what is it he says three lines red white and uh it's white blue and red us uh and he said all right just do the same <laughs> that's how their flag was born mm. And uh, I don't remember where they got this two, two-headed eagle, but even that was taken from somebody else's culture. I remember actually, that. Yeah, I, but the, I don't know uh, which one. The, the,
0: the, basically, the eagle with two heads, I know that was actually a uh, b- a Byzantine symbol. From the, from the Byzantine. Exactly.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what during the times when they would... Uh, claiming themselves because I know um, like
0: in many terms the Russians it's
1: something that about Christianity the that they claiming themselves the third Roma or yes, something like that exactly so coming back to, to history uh, so Ukraine is built uh, I mean uh, Ukraine is based on Slovak tribes um, Russia is based on Finnish Hungarian then um, Ukraine uh, then Russia uh, uh, sorry let me, let me structure my thoughts real quick because there is too many on them in my hand. Then uh, during the Genghis Khan... Um,
0: on oh, the Mongol uh, period, you could say, or the, the, Mong- yes, the Mongol yes. conquests.
1: Yes, during that period, Ukraine was under Mongolian ego only for 100 years. So it might left of some print on their culture, but not as much. Russians actually were uh, under that... Uh, ruling for 300 years. And in their culture, they like to present that they were suffering during those 300 years, that Mongolian people were like a barbarian, uh, dumb, um, that wanted to, but there was just too many of them. So the pure, nice Russian people couldn't, uh, couldn't kick him back. Mm, But that wasn't actually true. Mongolian people were very organized. Genghis Khan was a very smart man. And uh, once he con- conquered that area, he didn't even think to murder and kill and, and rob and rape everybody. Because why do you want to kill the cow that you can milk? And that's what they did for 300 years. And um, you can see a lot of, uh, how to explain, a lot of print of the Mongolian culture in Russian Uh, In Russian culture, like even in their fairy tales, their royalty suddenly actually dressed up uh, like a Mongolian Mongolian, uh, royalty of that time. And their shoes, um, Russians were not known for being a horseman but Mongolians were. But for some reason, all Russian royalty in their fairy tales were the uh, boot with the heel and the pointy uh, pointy and uh, tipped upward nose. Uh, it's something, something similar to cowboy boot uh what else you could see they they, they their their royalty in the fairy tales where uh, ha, has in their hands the short bow and the if ukrainians uh ukrainians uh ukrainian infantry of that time had long bows because everybody knew with the long bow uh longbow shoots further and shoots stronger but it's absolutely useless when you are on the horse and Mongo- therefore Mongolians used to use uh, short bows, so you can tip it over the back horse to the left side, to the right side and it's comfortable to shoot with and you can place it on your back and the why Russian royalty has all that, uh, so all that print of Turk based tribes in their uh, culture, and but the, which they are trying to deny, they are claiming themselves pure Slovak people Um What else I can say that their royalty back and back in that time actually had to go to the to the uh, con and get the uh, special document that allows them to be a royalty. If they didn't get if they would just claim themselves by themselves that they are that they are going to be ruling this area, they would just get killed. And that's it.
0: Yeah, so that's a good point. It's like, you know, I think that's one thing. I think every country, society, culture, they, you know. That you know, everyone everyone has pride, and it's hard to lose that. So, in many cases, if you're they've incorporated a lot of these, you know, more tur- Turkic or you know, Mongolian or tur- Turkic traditions, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just that you know, whenever you're there, there's always going to be cultural diffusion when two when peoples are in contact over a prolonged period of time. So exactly. So there's no. So I think it's actually a very good thing because it allows the creation the development of new things that did not exist before, or the sharing and you know. Furthering of whatever whatever it may be, but I can see that you know some cultures there is definitely a stronger sense of national or you know cultural pride that does not want to be tarnished for lack for in one way of saying it.
1: Yeah, and uh, there is a saying: "Great nation supposed to have great history."
0: Yes, very Um, very well said, and that's because they have to go in you know in tandem to support a great nation in a way.
1: And why why I said that? Back in eighteenth uh, century, there was a German uh, princess that was brought to Russia to rule the Russia. Princess Katerina. Uh I think That became
0: Catherine the Great, correct?
1: Yes, exactly. That's the one. She was actually German. She didn't know even Russian when she came there. (laughs) She was a German princess. And uh, I'm not sure why they decided German princess to rule Russia, but I guess it's something historical people would answer uh, about traditions of uh, how monarchies worked back in that time. But it was a common thing that uh, uh, one royalty from one country would go to rule to another country and stuff like that. So she comes to Russia, and she sees the half-barbaric compared to her native Germany. People, uh, she sees uh, stuff that she's not pleased to rule uh, of, and she thought, "How can I bring this nation to some kind of traditions, to some kind of culture, to to some kind of prosperity?" I guess. And she she looked what she had on her hands. She looked at the uh, ancestry of uh, Finnish and uh, Hungarian tribes. Which didn't bother her that much, but uh, she uh, looked on the then the whole whole nation, um, national government uh, industry was built by Mongolian standards and with Mongo- and with Mongolian history, and uh, she, she uh, Mongolian history of those three hundred years that Mongolians ruled over uh, Russian territory and she thought like no i need something and back in then actually russia was called Moscovia, not russia you know russia it's it was uh, it was this that name was brought up somewhere around uh katrina the great or peter the first uh they they were pretty close in time when they ruled so one of them brought it up but anyway so she thought, okay, in uh, Europe was simply afraid of Genghis Khan and all its legacy. So uh, it, so all that wasn't really popular in Europe. So she thought, like, what history I can bring to Europe? Well, how can I lead this nation into the Europe uh, with what history? Into European society. And here is the Ukraine that had a great society. Slovak people were respected in Europe. And she thought, why not? And they started to rewrite in this history in, uh, as as funny as it sounds, she created the commission. I mean, like how to explain commissions, teams, teams, that's the right word. Teams of uh, uh, people who would go to monasteries, libraries. And there was not too many of them back then. They would find old scripts and they would take them. Uh, instead, her own team would start writing new history, and sooner. And you know what people say: if you say lies thirty times, on the thirty-first time, it becomes true. You know, so they started saying their own history, and they they went to the point where they actually started saying that Ukraine, that the Russia is uh, the uh, kind of like the the root of all this culture of root of slovak people and ukraine is some kind of ukrainian ukrainian culture and that dialect is kind of something that is you know came from the outskirts and of their great empire and uh, they are such nice people that they actually can allow this culture to to live that but in but all but all educated and smart people supposed to use uh, Russian idea, Russian language, and whichever empire does, every empire tries to to set down uh, to be a center of every of whole world of itself and uh, their language and their culture and everything. So, and uh,
0: yeah, that's a good point. They try to, you know, it's like they try to own it. You know, own.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And so for the uh, for the last. Uh, the, uh, uh, they keep saying sometimes, like, "Oh, why do you want to speak your Ukrainian language so much? Why don't you just want to speak Russian?" Language doesn't matter. Ukrainians answer, "If language doesn't matter, why can't it be, can't it be Ukrainian?"
0: <laughs> so, uh, no, that's. No, I think that's a very good backdrop to kind of get an idea of you know, history and specifically viewpoints. Of how things, you know, how things have transpired, and also, you know, how you as how you use it as a Ukrainian looks at it, and then at the same time, you know, I think it's always interesting to see how different people look at their history and other countries' history when you get together and talk, because you find that there's a lot of similarities, but also there's, di- I think, the big thing that I find is there's always difference in points of view based on, like you said, with what they've learned, education, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and between 1653 and nowadays. There was 22, this one is 23rd, armed conflicts between Russia and Ukraine.
0: That, that's just, that's tragic. Just under 400 years at this point. That's very so- sobering.
1: Yeah, and Ukrainians just like the independence. They, they, they like to be, they, freedom is really important for them. It's in, it's in the DNA point. And uh, they, and Russians vice versa, they're more like monarchists. So they, like, like Russian people, they admire their... President as a king, and they like to see it sitting. I don't know some kind of up high. Ukrainians, vice versa, they will dogmouth half of their presidents, and uh, they will. Uh, they are easy to you know to change them if uh, not like easy. Just uh, how to explain they they are not easy on the negative side of that. So it's not like they are just uncontrolled uh, emotional people. No, but if. If the president will act, uh, will be, you know, um, but you will can say commit they, a treason you know, of national interest.
0: Yeah, and you can uh, say they they basically hold their leaders to what they do. You know, if okay, we elect this person or do something, and then they do, that's correct. They do what we want them to do, or what the people want, great. If they don't, we get another guy in. So it's basically they just hold them to account.
1: Yes, exactly. And like this, it's been for the last 400 years. Maybe even maybe even deeper in centuries, but might up to my knowledge for the last four hundred years. Versus Russia, always had an emperor. They they admire their you know their leader.
0: Yeah, and that, and that's good. And kind of uh, going forward from here, that leads into the next point that I think is very crucial to kind of get more insight on is Ukrainian identity and specifically. Like you've already given a good example of how Ukrainians see themselves, you know, exercise to their culture, their language, their history, you know, people and relationships. But also, I mean, like you said, you know, like, so what would you say, like, are some key differences between Russian Russians and Ukrainians? You've already touched on some, but maybe in your opinion, in, you know, in your background, how would you maybe define that?
1: The key differences. uh, First one is this uh, Ukrainians like democracy, uh, Russians like monarchy. And, you know, the democracy is popular thing in the world. But right now I'm not talking about, oh, democracy is so good, monarchy is so bad. No, there is a lot of nations in the world that like like, uh, uh, monarchy controlled or uncontrolled but some people like it some people don't and uh it's important to know why i say ukrainians are not russians they are different Uh, russians try to uh, try keep saying that ukrainians is the same nation and therefore we're gonna kind of you guys it's mistake that you got independent you need to be back with the mother russia and uh, that's not that's not what ukrainians think so Ukrainians are individualists uh, with the high tendency to to freedom, and their leaders are mainly chosen. Not the they don't really allow much to for for their leaders to keep the keep the reign for too long, like to 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 stay ruling for too long, I guess, uh, to stay in power for too long. I mean, like normal term or normal two terms, which is four years, I believe in Ukraine. And then, next one, next, uh, key differences, the uh, relationship to women. Ukrainians, uh, as I said, they call their wife druzhina, which means female friend for life. They are more like, they they see the marriage more like a shoulder-to-shoulder stand, uh, except they... uh, have the roles. The man has his role. The woman, the uh, woman has his uh, her role. But it's a definitely uh, union uh, full of mutual respect and uh, kind of shoulder to shoulder stand. Uh, Russians have little, little less respect to their women. I don't want to, you know, dig in their culture, but definitely it's not as much equal partnership. As uh, Ukrainians like uh, like it in their families. Mm. Uh, what else? Ukrainians are uh, uh, very uh, very neat in their uh, household. Sometimes it's almost OCD neat. Uh, they like their windows to be um, to be painted certain way. They like certain patterns to be presented to be uh, to be in their um, household and uh russians uh russians don't care as much about it russians care more about looking rich for example but not about this you know kind of like neatness call it that way what else the key difference is uh the um do you hear me sean yes mm-hmm. no no i think that i that's... just to make sure you didn't get disconnected um then the, the next thing about the Pledge um, is the pledge right word in English? Like, do your warriors up to a certain time give their pledge to the country or something of that uh,
0: kind? Yeah. yeah, like commitment pledge. Yeah, you could use a number of words to describe that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the Ukrainian uh, pledge, and because uh, we we have it like this: the the, the young guy who joins the military, he goes through the boot camp of like whatever three months, something like that, and then he does this pledge. And then he becomes a soldier. Before that, he's not a soldier. He's just a boot camper. Uh, And uh, so the uh, Ukrainian um, police, military, and uh, prosecution, uh, Navy, all all what you can think of like military or police type of organizations, they have this pledge, and the pledge ends. I uh, serve the nation. Uh, the I serve the people of Ukraine. Uh, but uh, Russians say different things. Russians say in their pledge, "I serve the to the Russia."
0: So we basically, should... you're saying one is more to the people, and one is you could say to the state or the.
1: Exactly, they serve their state, and state means. The people in power, the person in power, and uh, Ukrainians no, Ukrainians did the pledge, and I serve to the to the people of Ukraine.
0: I say, and that would kind of go back to your point about you know monarchy versus more of a democracy or open type of government.
1: Yes, and uh, r- Russians are. Imperialists in their ambitions—they like to uh, to to know that the empire is this, this big and likes this much. Ukrainians don't care about that. They want their country, like uh, like bees, leave us with our beehive, and we are good with that. We don't need uh, somebody's uh, land. We don't need somebody else's. Just leave us alone. Let us be, and we like our lifestyle. Uh, that's how they don't have imperialistic. Uh, uh, ambitions at all because they're individualists. They don't see themselves comfortable in the group. If you take the Russian people and put them in the golden cage, they'll be fine with that sooner or later. If you try to do that to Ukrainians, they don't like to be in groups. They don't like to to be organized by somebody. They don't uh, they they don't want to be there. If they ask you to organize them, they will be they will be obeying to what you're saying. Like let's say, hey, we are con- we are contractors, but we need to build this building. We don't know how to. Hey, chief, you are the general contractor. Please do. Please organize us. Yes, one thing. But if somebody comes and says, "I'm the boss here," he's gonna walk with the three boots. I guess you know how people walk with three boots.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, that, yeah. Another good, a good analogy. Yeah, but yeah, you know, it's in hearing this, is kind of interesting because you know, lot, I think a lot of people, it's you don't really get to know this until you meet people from you know a certain place and you kind of can break down a lot of these different you know these you know these these little differences i mean on the surface it doesn't look like a lot but you know there's there's always a lot of differences whenever you dig deeper between places
1: yeah and and one thing i guess last thing what i want to mention um, Ukrainians like the, uh, to work on the land. Not everybody. Some people like to be in the city, but in general, kind of like it's pretty agricultural uh, culture. Uh, and Ukrainians actually pretty decent warriors. Uh, they, have, um, they have this thin, uh, how to explain, uh, their idea how to outsmart the enemy that's what they 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 are good at that's and that's proven through centuries they have this military uh, military idea of outsmart their opponent and it's uh, you can see that in everything in the way they fight uh, as a military or so you can see it also as a fight as a way that w- when they fight, um, how did you call it l- earlier? Uh, con- full contact sports or something like boxing, like Lamachenko, Klitschko, um, Usik, you name it. Like when you, when you see how those guys fight, they're they, they, they not just strong, they are not standard because they like are there's trying. A, there's a
0: method, there's a strategy, and there's an intelligence to it
1: yes yes and this ukrainians have gift to it like to be kind uh, to, to 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 be to be that uh sm- smart in that type of uh, and russian empire spent quite a bit of time and effort to trying to tell ukrainians uh, that you know what you are just kind of like uh, a little bit dumb people <laughs> and uh if you if you try and try hard you can become a good russian but right now you're just some kind of you're not really a russian and russian is an ethalon, as a is a standard in our society that's how the kind of the 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 idea was planted more and more in heads and uh, and uh, didn't you notice sometimes when you meet somebody you want to obey you what one of the things you can try to do to them you're gonna try to tell them that they are stupid
0: right yeah, it's, or yeah someone comes up to you and, oh, and tells you to do things, it's like, okay, well, why would I do that?
1: <laughs> yes, but if you, if you plant the idea in their heads that they are weak or stupid and they have to depend on you,
0: you just got your power over them. Yeah, by belittling them. It, exactly. and Creating a situation where they think by doing what you say or following certain things that you preach or however you want to describe it, they can gain Status, you know, intelligence—whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, basically just a way of manipulating a population to their advantage.
1: Yeah, and one of the uh, one of the problem of uh, uh, one of the problem to Russia of this conflict that you see of this war that's going on right now, that they've been telling that to Ukrainians for. At least few decades that they are weak, that they are kind of on the dumber side and that the Russian military is strong, superior and so on and so forth, that they actually started to believe in that BS themselves. And when they and suddenly they just got a knuckle sandwich, which was a surprise to them. They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> you beat us. Oh, actually, we do. <laughs> that's,
0: it, it, that's yeah. Helpful. And just saying. What's happened in this last month from February 24th until now, I would say definitely substantiates that. I mean, it's tragic, but it's uh, very clear to see that things have not gone how both the Russians and a lot of people globally thought it would. It's actually uh, taken a very interesting turn, especially in this last week, you know, despite all the other, despite the negativity and all the destruction and horrible things that have happened. Ukraine has certainly shown itself as being Very capable of defending itself, and yeah, and like what you've talked about with like you know background of people, their motivations, what drives them, and how they operate—that it all makes sense.
1: Even even bombs, even the drug addicts uh, started to walk around and look for bottles. A glass bottles that just were, you know, like that somebody may be dropped on the street or something like this. And they would bring those bombs. I mean, they would bring those bottles to volunteers to make Molotov cocktails out. Of them.
0: Oh, yeah. I've Yeah. I've seen a lot of news reports and literally there'll, there'll be hundreds of them and they'll be just prepping them for use to defend wherever they're at or what's going on. So that it's, you know, the, the amount of communal effort and the the sense of like getting of just kind of coming together that's what's really is inspiring and you know despite the tragedy of what's going on it's that's that's very inspirational and it shows to the the determination
1: i apologize if i sounded um Judgmental or so to the homeless people or like to the drug addicts. But I mean, uh, if, if we are calling Apple an apple, it's a lower class of, uh, they, they they take a lower step on the social ladder and, uh, and not all the, and the, like uh, sometimes uh, this type of people could, uh, you know, could show not as. Uh, uh, high morals as somebody else would. But in this particular situation, everybody just is driven by one motive. We got to win. We, at, at first, we actually got to defend. And when they get pissed off to the point that half of their country is actually in ruins because of the artillery and, uh, and aviation uh, bombing them. They, they now, they now, they don't really want to settle for defending. They want to settle for, for victory.
0: No, and in many cases, yeah, like 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 what I was, meant, you know, like illustrating or leading up to is that, you know, I know like your son, they say has been recontested just lately, or from the reports I've heard, and it's basically hit a stalemate in many places. And now the Ukrainian military and civil defense and the local defense or guard units are going on the offensive. And, you know, I think, you know, contrary to what a lot of experts or people believe, Ukraine has a good chance of either repelling or pushing things to a point where they can come out, you know, potentially advantageous, which I'm hopefully they will.
1: Yeah. Did you, did I hear Ron, or did you say it's good because of people leaving Ukraine
0: no i said i said because of you know what you, the ukrainian military and basically volunteers and civil defense what they've been able to accomplish will hopefully you know give them an advantage or potentially even you know you know you know expel you know russian forces out of ukraine or get to a point where they can negotiate to you know in their favor
1: i see no there there was actually a reason why i asked about Uh, if you mentioned people leaving to Ukraine, because I wanted to mention interesting fact to you. It's actually good right now that, um, I mean, it's bad that it's happening, but it's good for our military that uh, older people or women and children leaving country because that gives them more room for maneuvers,
0: and uh, yes, and and by doing without so,
1: worrying about a lot for, for civilians.
0: Yes, exactly. So basically, by removing. You know, women and children and non-combatants. It allows the Ukrainian military and, and you know new recruits, you know, in civil defense, where whatever you want to call them. It allows them more of a free hand without the with with less chances of of you know caught of fellow Ukrainian citizens non-combatants being caught in in the crossfire between the opposing forces. So yes, so while that's tragic, I can see how that would be a be- at least a benefit in that context, as you mentioned. Yes.
1: And even even doctors can spend like surgeons and doctors can spend more time, uh, you know, healing uh, the the wounded military in during the wartime versus healing the people who don't take a direct in, who don't uh, take direct uh, what is it called the role in the. Uh, conflict, it, it, it doesn't mean that they are not important. It just means that they are actually equally important. But we once we have a military, uh, once we have a war, what do we need? We need military to fight and we need doctors who can patch them up fast.
0: Yeah, it allows them priori- priority to focus on co- the combatants. As you said, more and more non-combatants have left or have gotten out of, out of an area where they could potentially be you know, you know injured or killed. I mean, of course, there's still a lot there still in places like, you know, like Kharkiv or Mariupol, Mar- uh, Chernihiv, you know, Mykolaiv, or other places. But still, by reducing the numbers of the civilian population or non-combatants, that does reduce the um, the burden on both the military, you know, supports and support, you know, surgeons, logistics, all those things. It allows them to focus more on keeping the military functioning.
1: Yeah and therefore the Ukrainian nation is uh, very thankful to all the european countries that uh, accepted refugees and they act very involved and generous uh, to the refugees the, the big one is poland it's 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 super big it's a it's a, it's the first country the ukrainians see once they go west and they are, and the refugees nowadays go west. Once w- once they enter Poland, they get so much care uh, that they some people burst in tears. Oh,
0: I've yeah, and I've been following that, and just the amount of refugees that have been coming into Poland, primarily, it's staggering. But also, just you know, they've been doing a lot, and you know, all the countries that are accepting refugees, you have to give them, you know, you have to you know tip your hat to them for what they're providing. Yeah,
1: Moldova, Germany czech republic you name it i i if there is a uh, people of some other uh, uh countries listening to podcast i apologize if i didn't mention you guys it just uh, it just i would pretty much have to mention whole europe to that they uh, europe turkey georgia not the Georgia state, but country of Georgia. <laughs> uh, it's uh, I mean, you probably still remember that joke when there was a, a war in Georgia and somebody some ignorant person from actually either Atlanta, either Macon, or uh, like some some city in Georgia actually uh, posted on the Facebook why everybody's talking about tanks in Georgia. I don't see nothing on my street.
0: Oh, that is that is oh, that's such such a sense of irony there. Oh, my lord! Because
1: yeah, because they, they both countries have the same name. I mean, country and state, state of Georgia and country of Georgia. They exactly spelled the same, and it's a uh, but it's obviously not the same place. But anyway, all the countries gave so much shoulder to people that it's it's hard to believe uh, that uh, people can have so much care. People can offer so much shelter, food. Um, anything
0: no no that's it, it, it's it's really nice to see how europe and a lot of countries are coming together to both support ukraine and also support the people who've been displaced and you know and of course every different countries their national their national interest politics can have a different view on it you know for based on a whole host of reasons but it is it's just it's a good feeling to see when countries come together to support another country in you know in any in, in any capacity regardless of what you know, criticisms are laid out because I know there's a lot going around right now, but I I'm just hopeful that the situation will, will be resolved soon and things, I'm not sure if anything, it will ever be back to a state of normalcy before this, but at least to a point where people can rebuild their lives and get back to a more of a, at least a sense of normalcy.
1: No, well, until then they, uh, I mean, before that happens, they have to, The war has to end, and uh, and it has to end with victory. And uh, the big, big, uh, you know, the very big thank you to the uh, United States that they they, uh, uh, their impact on this victory is uh, huge uh, with the support of anti tank weapon. And I apologize if it's uh, not the most right name to name it. It's called javelin. Yeah. it's the it's a launch a launcher system that can attack the tank. the the Ukraine Ukrainian military was uh, was supplied with quite a bit of that type of weaponry. Uh, that's all. That that's the only that that's what I know. There, is, there, are, there might be more, but I know definitely Javelin is really big in this war. Javelin from United States and, I believe, Anne Law from Great Britain. Yes. Uh, there was a there's very... also a
0: Panzerfaust, I think, three three and four, or I think three from Germany. So there's a whole host of arms and other things that have been filtering into aid, the Ukrainian army. So, you know, you can see where what countries are, are helping in, in, and in what capacity.
1: Yeah, and uh, last thing I know, the president uh, signed the uh, president of the United States signed the new military program or something of the military aid program. Yeah, the eight
0: hundred million dollar aid uh, aid package, which I think included, I think eight hundred javelins, two thousand, sur- you know, surface air missiles, you know, twenty million rounds of ammunition. It, it's quite extensive.
1: <laughs> no, the the big one is not just this. The big one is also the. Uh, I call them kamikaze drones, but uh, it's a, you know, remember those kamikaze air fighters from Japan that would just leave the airplane uh, into the crash in order to kill the enemy. So those are kamikaze, I call them kamikaze drones, but you're welcome to name them more properly. Those are drones that once they detect the enemy uh, enemy vehicles or infantry, they just fly there and uh, explode. And those were supplied by the United States.
0: No, I mean, and I and, and I think, like you're, and from what we're seeing, it's telling on the ground. You know, all the support, it's telling, and it's making a difference. It, I mean, it is. It's just the results don't lie. You know, and, for, and the you know just the down the enforcement side is is the, the loss of life on both sides, which is tragic. Yeah,
1: the the big problem that stands is the sky. Yes, the Ukrainian U, Ukrainian. Uh, Anti-aviation and anti-missile systems—they—they uh, they do miracles, but they are limited um, to their uh, am- amounts and to their uh, how advanced they are. Well, the good part that we we also got supplied uh, Stingers, Stingers, whatever that RPG type of thing is called
0: yeah the the, the laser, basically yes, yeah, sticking the guided missiles that can knock out low-flying aircraft uh, air, low-fly aircraft helicopters planes etc
1: exactly but the ones that fly uh, up high we still have a problem and uh, we uh, ukrainians keep asking to close their sky but uh, I guess the NATO so far is um, supplying them with the, with the weaponry that can uh, hit pretty strong low flying aircraft, but not the high flying one. And uh, because the, and they keep asking for the help of, you know, like uh, Patriot systems that are in uh, like Poland, Bulgaria and stuff. But uh everybody's kind of reluctant to it because it's uh, it can lead to pretty much a nuclear war.
0: Yeah, there, I mean, there's been a huge amount of debate going on over that. Just you know, I know that you know, you know, Zelensky is wanting it, and Ukraine to win it, but there's a lot of factors at play which are which complicate you know the potential, you know, effects of that happening.
1: Yeah, I think I think right now if. Uh... I'm not sure where 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 the situation stands about the uh, C300 uh, and uh, the uh, old uh, Soviet Union uh, jet fighters that. Uh, oh, the MiG yes. 29s.
0: Yes, I've not heard anything yes. new on that situation. I know that so they they not transferred
1: from uh, Poland or Bulgaria to Ukraine yet, right?
0: I, yeah, I've last heard is they were tra- they were transferring them, but they've not been sent to Ukraine or anything. And I think Slovenia, uh, or I think it was Slovenia, Slovakia was wanting to provide the S-300s to, to uh, Ukraine in return for I think Patriot or other systems because they still need Russian technicians to update them or to maintenance them and they're wanting to get away from that.
1: I see. Yeah, if Ukraine would uh, have a chance, and this is what I'm, I guess I will use this interview a little bit to my own uh, nation, uh, to the nation, I, to my roots, that if there is a possibility to have an impact on that situation, that the United States can uh, help with the uh, with the transfer of those MiG 29s to Ukraine and those uh, C-300s that would be really good because uh, Ukrainian military is well trained on those and we have uh, plenty pilots but we don't have enough aircraft to take to close our own sky because yeah we we understand why we can't rely much on the help of uh, patriots from the Europe I mean patriot uh, systems from the Europe but if if United States can uh, somehow support that transfer of MiG-29 and uh, those C-300s, please help.
0: <laughs> no, and like I said, I completely understand, you know, basically, you know, those are things that are in demand and what are needed to help, you know, the Ukrainian military protect their, na- you know, maintain their national sovereignty and defend their territory, their people and, you know, their, their identity in, in every sense.
1: Yeah. If you think that it would make sense, I could explain a little bit more about the roots of the conflict, uh, the way I see it.
0: Yeah, actually, I think we can wrap, I think we can wrap it up. uh, We can wrap it up for this episode because we're almost at an an hour now. So I think the roots of the conflict would be a great uh, second episode now, uh, given just the the just the incredible amount of information and just insight you provided, kind of more on your background and kind of on Ukrainian, Ukrainian identity and just some of the you know specific situations that are unfolding now, so I think that'd be a great follow up episode. So, I, you kind of in summary, like what um, yeah, you know, what would you say? Are any final thoughts or suggestions that you have for people listening right now and who are aware of the situation in Ukraine?
1: I wanted to say if you. Uh... If somebody's thinking like they want to help what they can do is uh, it's very simple just write an email to the local congressman asking for asking for uh, helping Ukrainians to enter the United States and i'm not talking about the whole whole refugee thing but at least the ukrainians who have relatives in the united states because my mom right now i'm united states citizen and they cannot get my mom the visa i mean i'm trying to and i eventually will but it's not like it's not that easy uh, even though I'm united states citizen I mean I can reunite with my mom but it will take a couple years and my mom will get green card but she doesn't want a green card she just wants a visa she just wants to enter the country and then go back when uh when she uh when the when the war is over and um uh, that's the problem. So you can write to a congressman to support some kind of program to simplify uh, entrance to United States for Ukrainian uh, people who have relatives in the United States. Um, second thing, if anybody else wants to help, um, I wanna say R S Romeo Sam Ukraine R S Ukraine dot That's the website where it's a. I personally know the people from this, uh, who organized this website. It's the website where you can donate to to the uh, money and uh, the volunteers, uh, Ukrainian volunteers, will purchase the tourniquets, the medical kits, the helmets, the uh, body armor, Uh, to the Ukrainian soldiers and to the Ukrainian volunteers. Because in Ukraine, there is a lot of volunteers right now, which means like uh, the government can issue you a gun to you if you just want to defend your country. You are not considered full-blown military, but you are a country defender, and those people have a lack of body armor, even the most simple one, uh, and the helmets and stuff like this. So that's what our volunteers keep covering right now uh, very successfully, but there is still a lot of room to go. Um, So R-S, Romeo, Sam, and then Ukraine. R-S, Ukraine, one word, dot O-R-G, not dot com, dot O-R-G. And even 20 bucks matters. What is 20 bucks? 18 pack of beer. Um, What else can I say? That's, I guess, uh, I guess that's how I can... Wrap it up because that's one of the why I wrapped it up this way because that's one of the my way of that I can talk to you guys. Uh, it's uh, my way of helping Ukraine. Um, besides just donating and the taking the particip- participation in the public meetings um, to ask somebody to donate, it's one of the ways that I can try to help my motherland.
0: And that's that's wonderful, and that's great to know because I was not aware of this. And I'll make sure to uh, leave a link in the description for anyone who's uh, listening, so they can check the site out. And if they want to donate, you know, I highly recommend you do. And you know, any like you said, any any lifeline, any resource, every little bit helps. At the end of the day,
1: yeah. But what I wanted to mention also when you open this uh, this website, you'll see that it says uh, that you are donating to uh, uh rehab programs to the wounded uh to the actually to the handicapped military like you were know ones that lose lost limbs and they were and the prosthetic limbs were installed but uh that's uh that's not what this uh, volunteers do right now because i mean i guess that that is a Secondary priority, the main priority right now uh, is what I mentioned before. I had to say this right now because once you open website, you might say like, hey, why do I donate right now to the, just, uh, to the, to the rehab people if there is more acute problem going on right now? So no, you actually donating to the most acute problem. I mean to, to the solution to the most acute problem, the actual work.
0: No, that, that's good. That's good. And it's good to have that context, you know, because some, you know, a lot of websites can be a little confusing to navigate, but no, that's, that's great. And, you know, Anton, Anton, I just want to say, I just appreciate you coming on today. And it's really enlightening to hear a lot of what you've had to say and a lot of the things that are going on specifically, you know, toward now, but also just the background about just, you know, what Ukraine is, who the people are, their history, how they see things. I think that's very, that's, you know, Extremely important. More and more people need to know that because every situation has a a context and a root. And the more we know about it, the more we can help to understand it and then resolve it. And this this situation now is byproduct of a lot of unfortunate events that have happened and miscommunication, lack of education, you name it.
1: Yeah. And thanks, Sean. And thanks, everyone. Thanks, Sean, for letting me. Have a chance to talk about my motherland to let people know about it more. Uh, and thanks for everybody who was listening. And-
0: oh, it's my pleasure. And like I said, you know, I really enjoyed uh, you know your conversation and, and, and what you went in depth on. And I would love to have you back on for another episode, as mentioned, to kind of go over um, the, more of the conflict itself, from what you understand, from what you're experiencing since you know since you're a family you still have family there and you lived there for the first part of your life so i look forward to having you back on for another episode in the future and i just want to express my my gratitude and appreciation for sharing what you have to say today
1: the pleasure was mine and i definitely will be up for the second episode to introduce you and uh, the audience to more information about the conflict
0: that's that's great to hear, Anton. Just wonderful. So everyone, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of International Immersion. The situation in Ukraine demands action, awareness and, you know, action on from across the world. We all need to do our part and we all need to prevent conflicts from arising like what's happening now, because at the end of the day, it's the average person that suffers. So, you know. You can check out this website, which I'll leave in the description that Anton mentioned, how you can help Ukraine. And I'll also uh, leave any other information that I can find that you can use to help Ukraine or learn more about it in this episode's description. Uh, Like I said, I look forward to having Anton back for another episode where we'll go into more depth on the roots of the conflict and the conflict itself. So with that, this has been another episode of International Immersion. Stay safe until the pandemic and this conflict both come to a speedy end so we can get back out, travel, learn, explore, and just take all that this world has to offer. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.